Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. I hope you are well. I am okay. I'm now safely back in Los Angeles in the sun after a hectic couple of weeks in New York mid-election filming like multiple episodes a day for my game show, The Misery Index. And it was incredibly fun, but very, very scary, especially as it was my first time back on set during a pandemic. If you are someone who's really been properly back to work after a long time away and you're feeling as though you've forgotten everything that you know, and you feel almost like a newborn baby in your skill set, don't worry, you're not alone. I think all of us feel really, really rusty. Just talk, just trying to walk in heels or wearing proper makeup again. I um I looked like a baby giraffe who was absolutely shit-faced. So it was it was an odd time. I'm very exhausted, but I'm happy and I'm safe and everyone was safe that we worked with and so I feel very proud of what we were able to achieve given the current circumstances and the numbers in America, my god. Um I got to be on the red table talk this week, which was a really fun and surreal life pinch me moment. And that, if you don't know, is a show that is hosted by Jada Pinkett Smith and her mother, Gammy, and her daughter, Willow. And they are just the most incredible women. They are so smart and so emotionally intelligent, so open, so present. And, you know, the show to me is a really big deal. I I was really, really fucking starstruck when I went there. I felt uh, physically sick all day waiting for the moment that I would step in front of them. And we didn't really get a chance to meet beforehand. So that was it. That was my, you know, only opportunity to warm up with them is when we're already just kind of knee deep in a really deep and serious and pulling no punches conversation. And, you know, when I was growing up, going on Oprah in the 90s was kind of the big interview. And this felt like the equivalent of that for our generation. And we talked about what it's like to be a controversial woman online and the double standards of how we treat controversial or, you know, men who make mistakes versus women who make mistakes and the history of that and the psychology behind it. And it was really nice to not be completely taken out of context uh, as I normally am in interviews. And that's why I love having this podcast because I get to talk to you directly and I get to control what you hear so that at least if you don't like me or agree with me or approve of me, it's on my fucking terms and we can have some sort of genuine understanding somewhat of whatever we're discussing on this podcast together. And then I get your feedback and I read your feedback and I try and make changes according to that. And I'm so grateful to you for that. But if you want to see it, it's it's on the Red Table Talk at the moment. Um, me with Jada and Willow and Gammy. And <laughs> I I was so outrageous uh, in my vulgarity that I think Gammy also had a heart attack. But um, but in the end, we were fine. <laughs> anyway, so that was an exciting life moment for me. And And I know it might be an odd thing to bring up, but I think it's really important just to, especially in these times, to hold on to the exciting moments or things that we get to do. And I feel mega grateful. Anyway, this week I have the guest for you. She was the first person I approached when I knew I was going to do a podcast or have a podcast. And I said to her that I can't, I can't do this without you. I'm going to need you to be a part of this at some point. And she graciously accepted. However, she was very busy at the time finishing her book, which is called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. 
Her name is Aubrey Gordon. Until now, most people on the internet have known and worshipped her as your fat friend, which is at Y-R-F-A-T-F-R-I-E-N-D. And she has kind of positioned herself over the years. And we go through her journey in this in this chat, but she positioned herself as a kind of aggressively kind educator and an aggressively empathetic and inclusive speaker online. She's just the best writer, one of the great writers of our generation, one of the great thinkers of our generation, one of the great humans that I've ever had the great honour and pleasure of coming across. Honestly, I cannot tell you how much more starstruck I am by her than by really anyone famous in this world because of the way her mind works. I'm completely in love with her, totally obsessed. And she delivered so hard in this chat. She comes with facts. She comes with history. She comes with empathy, kindness, a firm understanding and such defiance in the face of so much vitriol and rejection and ignorance and unkindness that we show to people who are bigger than what society has decided is acceptable. And so we get into that. And I think considering that the holidays are coming up and people are going to be spending even more time with their bloody families and Thanksgiving is always a triggery time and people are eating more food over Christmas and, you know, their parents, especially their mothers and grandmothers, but generally your families are making, you know, unkind comments about your body or maybe your body's changed this year in particular and everyone feels as though their opinion is necessary or fucking helpful at all. It isn't. Um, maybe this will send you into battle somewhat prepared And so please listen to this episode, send it to other friends who struggle with their, you know, with how they feel around their weight or who struggle with their family members and the way that they speak about their bodies. You will learn so much from this conversation. I did. And I've already been friends with Aubrey for such a long time. I I can't believe she's finally here. (laughs) And I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on how eye-opening this episode is. I think I'll never really be the same afterwards and I feel I feel fresher and smarter and happier for sitting down with her. I, uh, I don't think it's possible for me to have bigged this up enough and that was a bold thing to do because now I've set your expectations so high but I think she's the fucking best. This is Aubrey Gordon, your fat friend. Bloody hell, I've gone and gotten one of my online icons to come and be on my podcast, Aubrey Gordon, otherwise known as your fat friend on Twitter and Instagram and all socials and just in the world. Welcome to iWay. Hello. Thanks for having me, bud. I'm so excited to talk to you always. And it's weird and great to do it on a microphone. Same. God, I haven't (laughs) seen your face for the whole pandemic. It's so nice to see you. It's been ages back at you, bud. What a treat. What a treat. Also, I'm like very into this like houndstooth situation that you've got going today. Good, good. I'm just so fucking cold. They've got the AC gone mad. So I'm I'm rocking the hoodie outside of the blazer, um, (laughs) which is the the new fashion. uh, Just to let everyone know. (laughs) <laughs> the yeah, reverse I mean, Justin Timberlake. Yeah. <laughs> pandemic fashion is a real <laughs> it's a real take what you can. You I've know? had to like, I've, Yeah, I've talked about it on on this before that my boyfriend's had to stage like several interventions with me about what I've chosen to wear because he's like, Hey, I love you no matter what you wear, but also sometimes we have to have sex. <laughs> and being covered in food isn't not sexy necessarily. But he's like, have you showered in three days? <laughs> I did see your Instagram video the other day where you were like fully just like picking hair out of your, uh, picking food out of your hair rather. No. <laughs> and I was like, this is extremely relatable content, bud. <laughs> this is extremely relatable content. My best friend is videoing me. I thought it was the meanest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so funny. And I just think we need to normalize women eating and we need to normalize that salad is really, really hard to eat gracefully. We need to, we just need to, yeah, we need to stop being embarrassed of just being our caveman monkey selves. There are maybe a million things I want to talk to you about today. And I'm so glad that you're here and I I think first and foremost I need to introduce my audience to you and so I know you as a great social commentator as a writer as an activist but um, would you kindly explain 
how you would like to be known by my audience. Sure. <laughs> um, so uh, I have been, uh, I think, known best on the internet as your fat friend. Um, I uh, am a, uh, a writer. I mostly write personal essays and some sort of research-driven work around fatness and fat people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, am a newly minted podcaster. Uh, and sort of generally a fat lady about town. <laughs> That's my deal. <laughs> and you're also you're also an organizer. You know, you've you've spent years and years and years on the ground, actually organizing change for many different marginalized groups, not just uh, for within for those within the fat community, for so many different people. So yeah, you're absolutely. a legend. She's a legend. <laughs> Kind of a legend. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I spent about uh, a dozen years as a community organizer. So like turning people out to vote, getting them to talk to their lawmakers, getting them to take action together for things like uh, trans rights and immigrant rights and racial justice and voting rights and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, my work as a writer now feels kind of like an extension of that, you know? Your, uh, your journey to becoming an online, you know, figure who so many people look to and learn from is so interesting to me. It started with an argument with a friend. Will you tell me more about that? Yeah, totally. I, um, I got into an argument with a friend. This was like, I don't know, five years ago. Um, we were talking about, uh, sort of what it was like to be fat and what it was like to be thin. Um, I am fat. She is thin. Uh, and we just didn't see eye to eye. It was like a respectful conversation. It was a good, you know, productive conversation, but we just couldn't quite meet up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote her a letter because I felt like maybe writing it out would be an easier way of sort of explaining to her that like, no, there really are material differences between the ways that fat people are treated and the ways that people who are not fat are treated, right? Um, so I wrote her that letter. I sent it to a friend to proofread it. Um, sorry, my dog is flipping out. <laughs> uh, He's a big uh, fan I, of me. He's a big, yeah, big right, fan. That's right. He's uh-huh. like, oh my God, Jamila's on mic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm big with dogs. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, so uh, I sent it to a friend to proofread, mostly just because I was like, am I being a total jerk <laughs> in this letter? Am I being like unreasonable? Am I like, will you just give me a read on like... I know all of this is true for me. How would you read it if I was sending it to you? Um, and he said it was really helpful and asked if I would be willing to post it somewhere. Um, so I found Medium, where anyone can post just about anything, <laughs> uh, and uh, posted it there uh, under the name Your Fat Friend. Uh, and just a ton of people read it really quickly. 40,000 people. 40,000 people. 40,000 people. Uh <laughs> And I realized I had more to say about what it was like to be a fat person. So I just kept writing. And that was like, I don't know, four or five years ago. It's been it's been a minute for sure. Yeah. And you are someone who is so looked up to, not just within, you know, the fat community, but just generally online because of your approach. Uh, I asked you kind of on a date two years ago <laughs> and we went out for cheesecake in Los Angeles, uh, <laughs> key lime pie specifically. And, and you told me back then that your approach was just to be kind of aggressively kind yeah. Yeah. I mean, which I is think, not which is not normal in activism, especially as we've seen in the last like year or two, it's become much trendier to be, you know, to to, you know, maybe pull no punches in ways that I definitely respect and admire, but also sometimes to be deliberately unforgiving and intolerant. Sure. Like, listen, the person I want to be in the world is someone who has good faith conversations with people. Um, and I would rather assume that people are trying to learn than that they are trying to mess things up. Uh, and I try and approach folks that way, right? That like, even when people say things to me, like you're glorifying obesity or whatever, (laughs) right? That I go, Hey, what about this, you know, photograph of a fat person that I have shared seems like glorifying anything to you. Do you know what I mean? Like, what about this, uh, you know, uh, article talking about sort of, uh, medical mistreatment of fat people seems like it's glorifying something to you. It doesn't seem like it's glorifying much of anything to me, right? Um, and just actually have conversations with folks um, that assume that they are trying their best and that tries to get underneath, you know, what they're thinking and why they're thinking that thing. I find that um, particularly from organizing world that actually like one of the most effective ways to get people to confront their own biases is just ask them a bunch of open ended questions and let them walk through their own thinking 
sort of in your presence, right? And find the sort of pitfalls and find the, you know, really uncharitable ways that they might be thinking about people on their own, right? I do the same thing, but I would love to know how, just some examples from you that other people might be able to use who are listening to this. Yeah, totally. So, um, so one that we actually used um, when I was um, canvassing, when I was, again, like going door to door and talking to people about how they felt about you know, transgender people, for example, mm-hmm. is people would say, well, uh, my religion is against it. My religion is against it. And I was like, okay, um, does your religion usually guide how you vote and how you think public policy ought to be shaped? And they would say yes or no. And I'd say, okay, does it guide how you treat people? Do you want it to guide how you treat people? Or do you think that people should just have what they need because they're people? You know what I mean? Like, Where do you fall on this thing? And then folks would sort of walk through their own reasoning, right? Rather Mm. than me going, that's totally transphobic. You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Like That I could actually like just sort of have a genuine and relatively curious conversation with them that came from a genuine place within me, right? Um, Mm. To get them to sort of explore their own thinking. Because a lot of the ways that a lot of the biases that we hold as human beings in the world... Um, a lot of the ways that those work is that we just sort of uncritically accept them and parrot them back out. And we don't tend to give them a lot of thought, right? Um, so the trick is giving folks some space to like think it through for themselves and decide who and how they want to be in the world, you know? So I want to go back a bit into your past and just hear mm. about your journey as, you know, I mean, you are many things, but but one of the areas in which you are for sure a known expert online and <laughs> and a leader is the fat community. And I would like to, I'd like for everyone to kind of hear, if you're willing to share a little bit of your, about your journey with your body, you know, from when you were a kid. Yeah, totally. Um, so I was like a pretty active little kid. I was always fat, just always have been fat since jump. I've been a fat kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has not changed. In do you adulthood. come, do you come from a, a fat family? Um, partly fat, partly not fat, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I am built a lot like my dad. Right. Like, he and I have a similar build. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, and I was really into swimming. We had a neighborhood pool. I wanted to be a lifeguard. I was on the swim team. I was super into it. Um, and for me, that sort of um, moment of, like, body shame was visited upon me um, in a doctor's office, actually, which I think is... Um, not necessarily the case for a lot of people who are thin and or able-bodied, right? Yeah. Um, so I had this wild conversation with a doctor when I was in fourth grade. So I would have been about nine, maybe 10. Um, who was just like, you got to stop eating pizza and ice cream. I know it tastes good, but it makes you big and fat. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I am from a Weight Watchers family, <laughs> right? Like, what we does that mean? Like, As in, everyone's on the plan? Yeah, like uh, for for periods, there would be like sort of an intense focus on Weight Watchers, like counting the points and using a little slider and the whole thing, right? Um, the like using a food scale to weigh your food, that whole bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the and, same. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was really confusing to me that this person was like hey, lay off the pizza. When I was like, we don't really have pizza. We have like chicken breast and rice pilaf, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's like sort of it. Um, and it didn't sort of compute for me, but that was the beginning of years and years and years of interventions from um, people, predominantly people who were not fat, um, trying to sort of correct my body, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, honey. <laughs> um So uh, that was the beginning of like lots and lots and lots of diets. It was the beginning of lots and lots and lots of prescription diet drugs. I was uh, on in high school. I was on Fenfen, which um, for folks who were around in the 90s was a prescription diet drug uh, that caused permanent brain damage and killed some people before it was pulled from the market. Um, I was on that when I was like 15. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and was in Weight Watchers and totally developed an eating disorder because how do you not develop an eating disorder if that is how everyone around you is treating your body, right? Um, yeah. 
So it's just, it's a different sort of conversation to talk about sort of growing up as a fat kid than it is to talk about growing up as a thin kid, right? Where um, as a fat kid, uh, no matter how you feel about your own body, the world insists on treating you differently, right? Um, So it's less sort of internally driven body shame and more sort of like, uh, people will get upset with you if you don't seem ashamed uh, as a fat person. Um, mm-hmm. And that has uh, followed me around a lot for a long time. It's rough. Yeah, I'd like I've been both as a child, and to flip between yeah. the two kind of weirdly equally fucked me up because mm-hmm. I experienced one, and then when I got thin, I experienced the other, and then that made me terrified of becoming fat again. And I don't know if you were like me, but I feel like we grew up in a less self-aware time. So when we mm-hmm. were kids, like I. I just didn't think about my body. I didn't think I didn't think about my body being different from other kids. My body was just my body. I was a chubby child um a lot of the time and and it just didn't occur to me. I thought my stomach was amazing. <laughs> oh my god, I thought it was the coolest thing anyone had and I would stick it out as much as possible and when I would lie down, I would push it out as much as possible and show everyone my food baby. Like I I would stand with my my hand on the back of my hip so I could push push my stomach out as much as possible. So, and I would wear like light colors because it would look bigger if I wore gray, <laughs> which is uh, something that men do with jogging <laughs> bottoms. <laughs> um, and so I had no idea until I was weighed at school. So that was my big, that was my big moment. And, you know, they're still kind of advocating for that to happen now for kids to be weighed in school. And no one realizes that when you just hand someone this messaging without any further information, support, understanding of the fact that some people, A, also have a fat gene. I think it's called leptin. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that many things play into an economic situation can play into someone's size because I I grew up poor. So we found that it was cheaper to buy uh, like a week supply of smiley faces, which is a deep fried microwavable potato, than it was to buy some chicken breasts and spinach. So we just ate yeah. whatever we could. Yeah. And this idea yeah. that if you're thin, you are like, if you're poor, you must be thin. And that, that uh, yeah. size is a sign of abundance. It's just inaccurate. It's boldly yeah. inaccurate and wildly offensive. Well, to your point about being weighed in schools, I will say, I think it's, it's around like 20 states in the U.S., um, require at the state level that schools send home what are called BMI report cards. Mm-hmm. So kids are weighed in schools and then their BMI is sent home to their parents. Yeah. It's not data driven. It's not something that they were like, oh, we found that this works, right? That this makes fat kids less fat or it makes them still fat, but healthier somehow or whatever. It is just these fat kids are fat and their parents need to know that they're fat. And we've decided that we're the people who need to tell them, which is a wild approach. Can we just talk about the BMI? Because like you, you have so many people online being like the BMI is steeped in like white supremacy or it is racist or it's fat phobic, mm-hmm. etc. Like as someone who is genuinely, you know, uh, an expert in this area, <laughs> can you just break <laughs> the fucking BMI down to me and to us? Yeah, totally. So the BMI was uh, developed in the mid 1800s. Um, by a statistician and astronomer. So not a doctor. Step one, not developed by a doctor, not developed for individual health measurement, right? It was a way to assess whole populations, like whole nations, um, not as a way to uh, individually sort of assess someone's health or, you know, make any recommendations about what they ought to do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... Uh, based at that time on the body measurements of uh, white men from France and Scotland. So this thing that is supposed to be the most universal thing in the world is like almost (laughs) exclusively based on white men from the 1800s. So like even if you just think about how much taller we've gotten, (laughs) it's wild to think that that is like a measure of bodies that everyone should be held to. Yeah. it didn't, it sort of sat on a shelf um, for a long time. It was part of this sort of, um, again, mid 1800s sort of project of finding what they called the ideal man, um, which was uh, essentially sort of trying to figure out like, what's the best human? And of 
course the best human was going to be a white man. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, we all know right? it's true. All right, Aubrey, we all know it's true. <laughs> it's just science, that's, Jamila. That's it's what just every, science. It's what everyone on this podcast believes in, all right? And that's why we fight for it, actually. We fight for that belief on this podcast. <laughs> so please so, keep talking about this great truth that you're telling us. Yeah. That's right. And like hard science. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the most scientific science. 100%. An astronomer you, measured some science. Scotsman in the 1800s, mm-hmm. and that is science. Amen. Um, <laughs> totally. So it sort of sat on a shelf for a while um, and didn't reemerge until the 20th century when U.S. insurance companies were trying to figure out how to charge some customers more than others. Um, and they sort of dug up the BMI uh, as a way to do that. And that is sort of how it started worming its way back into, like, specifically into healthcare settings. So kind of using it as a pre-existing condition of some sort, like a, in the same way that they use a pre-existing condition to be Similar, like, well, you aren't doing everything yeah. for your health. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, why should we ensure your health if you aren't kind of meeting us halfway? The BMI, like just about everything around sort of weight and bodies is socially constructed, right? It's not there's nothing inherent about a body, right, that is defined outside of people that is like, now this is a fat body, right? That's people looking at other people and making a visual assessment and going, oh, that's a fat person. And that's kind of what the BMI does, right? I think it's also worth noting um, that, uh, you know, the BMI has never been tested sort of on a global scale on, uh, on anyone who isn't white, there was like one study in Japan. There was like a brief study, but they didn't have quite the numbers that they needed in South Africa. Um, but overwhelmingly, the BMI has only ever really been studied in white folks. And the data that we do have on people of color shows that it actually puts folks' health at risk, right? Um, that because the standards are developed based on totally different kinds of bodies, mm. um, the sort of learnings that we think we have about um, BMI correlation with different uh, health conditions is really just BMI correlations with those health conditions in white people. Like, that's the thing we've studied. So the idea that this is, again, sort of like some universal standard is yeah. like not like not the case. It doesn't right? even, just not the case. It doesn't even make space for muscles. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the fact that muscles weigh three times more than fat and some people are just naturally more muscular <laughs> than others. L- listen, here's how you know the BMI is not helpful. Uh, the rock is obese, according to the BMI, right? Fascinating. Like, <laughs> totally, right? Like, because the BMI doesn't distinguish between muscle and fat, like, it's not even assessing people's fatness. It's just, how much do you weigh divided by how tall are you? There's your BMI, like, more or less, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's, like, completely not... Uh, you know, it's it's geared toward exactly one group of people, and it was geared toward them 150 years ago. Like, that's not exactly cutting-edge technology, guys. Like, <laughs> we, got some, we got some growing to do, team. That's so true. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly i think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Sump pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast-iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at A few years ago, uh, I believe it was the American Medical Association redefined obesity as a disease, um, which I think a lot of fat folks had a really strong reaction to, right? Because mm-hmm. even if it is, even if you want to think of it as a disease, like we don't have a cure, we don't mm-hmm. have any like quote unquote treatment that we know works, right? Like we don't actually have any evidence based practices that make fat people reliably make fat people thin in the long term, like. We don't know how to do that. Uh, Keto, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hello. (laughs) Have you not had an Um, appetite suppressant lollipop before, Aubrey? Get in touch. Someone hasn't tried South Beach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Right. Like, so there's this sort of redefining of quote unquote obesity as a disease. Right. But what the sort of data tells us and what researchers are telling us is that uh, I think last I checked, they have found uh, like 70 distinct types of obesity uh, or of fatness, right? Some with genetic markers, some with, uh, you know, sort of chronic illness conditions, um, some that are sort of driven by uh, uh, anxiety or trauma, right? Like there are so many things yes. that make people fat. And one of the things that makes people fat is sometimes there just are fat people, Right. Like Mm -hmm. since time immemorial, there have been fat people. It's really just in the last 30 to 50 years that we have decided to make that a A public health issue. Yeah. And the way that we've decided to make that a public health issue and the thing that we've decided fixes it is by stigmatizing fat people, making fun of us and uh, insisting that we do something that is uh, scientifically like pretty important impossible right 95 to 98 percent of people who try to lose weight fail like we just don't have evidence based 95 to 98 percent oh my god right depending on the study but fuck me 95 to 98 percent so instead, culturally, we focus on the two to five percent of people who manage to make that happen and not the 95 to 98 percent of people who are unable to lose weight because we don't know how to do that. Right. Well, also, because we also we don't we like we keep trying to treat symptoms when we don't understand the multitude of causes. You uh, you touched on stress. I think it's a really interesting, um, interesting fact, uh, which is that we don't understand that many, many different things can impact the way that your body digests food. You know, and also, by the way, I uh, I have many friends who are bigger than me who eat the same amount as me. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, it's not. It's sometimes it's just based on your metabolism. And then let's talk about the things that affect your fucking metabolism. One of those things is stress. Cortisol mm-hmm. uh, is something that kind of courses through your veins when you are very stressed, when your adrenals are kind of in overdrive. Is that right? And then your cortisol mm-hmm. spikes, and then your insulin spikes in order to be able to uh, meet your cortisol where it's at, to be able to I don't know, like help your body cope with whatever crisis you feel like you're in. Um, and that crisis doesn't have to be an actual emergency. That could just be being body. Shamed 
shamed. That could yeah. just be feeling stressed out all of the time because society makes you feel like shit or it could be just, you know, any kind of trauma or horror that kind of happens to you. So when we have this kind of spike, this constant spike of cortisol and insulin, cortisol and, cortisol and insulin, it affects the way that our bodies digest uh, sugar. And so this can start to impact the way that you are able to process calories. And so in itself, the idea of shaming and stressing people out over their size, you are very likely contributing to only, by the way, making them bigger and also mm -hmm. impacting their adrenals, which impacts their entire life. Not just the fact that you are harming their mental health. On a physical level, this is just for the people who have no empathy and are bastards. You are, you are, it's a complete own goal. Like you are, yeah. this is, you are making zero progress. I've never, and also when have we ever found that shaming people leads to making them make intuitive decisions? And then let's talk about another kind of health, your like emotional and mental health uh, that comes from exercise. We have mm -hmm. essentially subliminally or sometimes blatantly banned fat people from exercise in yeah. a way that I, I, tr I truly couldn't be angrier about. I think it's one of the things, I know there are many things to be angry about in this world, but I think maybe because I experienced it myself and I also so many of the people I love experience this on a daily basis, the ways in which we, A, don't even make fucking exercise clothes big enough for bigger <laughs> bodies. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we create the idea of like a gymnasium. You see all the pictures, people who are already thin with like six packs or eight packs. And people I know, and I definitely was like this when I got bigger, that I didn't want to go to a gymnasium. I didn't want to go out walking because yeah. people would, you know, heckle me. I know that someone heckled you like a month or two ago mm -hmm. where they were just like, you were just walking your dog in leggings and someone shouted out their car. What did they say? Uh, this woman was walking by and she went, good for you. You'll get there. And I was like, I am walking my dog. Oh, so I'm wearing, patronizing. <laughs> I'm wearing workout clothes, but also slippers. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was just, and she was like, you're doing it. And I was like, I don't know what message you are getting from this, but I am walking a tiny dog who is terrified of everything and takes 20 minutes to take, like, to go like a yard. Right? 100%. Um, <laughs> and it's like so deeply not about any of that, but she saw a fat person in workout clothes and was like, oh, this fat person must be trying to lose weight. And because uh, that's the only reason anyone would exercise. Right. I mean, this this woman was like, again, not uh, ill intended. She absolutely thought she was like doing the right thing. Um, and I think there are a number of people who would take that as like thumbs up, good encouragement. Thanks. Uh, it did not feel that way to me. Um, because it felt like there were so many sort of judgments packed into that, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, I noticed that you're fat. I noticed, that, which is bad. I noticed that you're wearing workout clothes, which is good. I noticed that you're physically moving. <laughs> and I believe that you need my encouragement. And this is my good deed for the day. Yeah, this used to happen to me whenever I would go on walks. And like at the time when I, I gained sort of like 75 pounds really, really quickly when I was at the kind of height of my fame in the UK, I was on steroids at the time. And so it's just like, it's like a race for your body to just eat whatever you can. And people would shout out of their cars, run fat boy, run, or don't worry, you'll get there. Or like, you know, yeah. keep going, you'll be skinny again. And this would just be when I would just be going for a, like just a wonder or going for a walk. Or if I would even be walking past a chip shop, like a fish and chip shop, they'd be like, don't go in there. And I wasn't, I wasn't going in there. But also if I was, it's my fucking business. I'm an adult. Yeah. This is my life. I, I called it fat calling instead of cat calling. Um, but, you know, this, this, the impact of then finding all these different ways to gatekeep exercise, to gatekeep mm -hmm. exercise clothing. We've seen that Nike, every time they try and have a fat mannequin to show off their bigger clothes, which I think is incredibly important and progressive, there is a huge international backlash against them for mm -hmm. quote unquote promoting obesity. So what do you what do you want? Like what is what do these people want? That's the thing that I don't understand. I can't imagine how confused you are. Like so you don't want anyone to exercise. You don't mm -hmm. really want them to be in a gym. You don't want mm -hmm. them to have clothes to exercise with. You don't want them to feel calm ever, literally ever, calm and accepted mm -hmm. and, and like shame-free ever for a second. Yeah. And you don't actually know anything about science and you're using false science made up by a fucking astronomer 200 years ago. <laughs> so what do you want? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like the answer is like pretty clear, right? It's not a great answer, but it's a clear one, which is, uh, I want there not to be fat people. 
And if there are fat people, I want them to be showing me at every moment that they are ashamed. And by the way, I'm not saying this because I'm like, how can you expect them to lose weight when we're not helping? It's not what I'm saying. (laughs) What I'm saying is what people are doing, what parents and teachers and people who love us who say it so nicely and friends, you know, about their concern or doctors who are rude and shaming or strangers who are literally just abusive and unkind. Mm-hmm. Think about the mental health of these human beings. Think about the fact that the vast majority of people are bigger than what our society tells them they are supposed to be. So think about how many people you are ostracizing, erasing, and abusing all of mm-hmm. the time. And think about the impacts that that's not just having on their mental health, but also on their actual bodies that you so desperately think it's your position to try and change. Just think, send this episode to your parents, to teachers, (laughs) to your doctor even, because I think it's really important. And sometimes these these things are really hard for you to advocate for yourself. I think that's why I was so desperate to get you on here, because I feel like one of the things that you do and you have been for me is someone that I can, I can send your, your pieces that you write about what it's like to travel as a fat person and how Mm. seats are not built for you or restaurant seats are not built for you, what it's Mm -hmm. like to live inside your body in various different things or the history of our, you know, racist and fat phobic approach to bodies. You Mm. are a resource for me to be able to go and pass over onto other people. And I hope that anyone listening to this either checks themselves or uses this as something they can send to someone where they feel like, you know, because we get gaslit out of talking about these things. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Can we discuss weight discrimination? Because a lot of people think it isn't real, and it's statistically very real. I mean, no one can see you, but you're, you're, you, know, you are laughing because... Yeah of how intense it is. Uh, Tell me all of the things that it is legal to uh, discriminate against a fat person for. Yeah, so I am, uh, I'm only sort of well-versed in the law in the US. So, you know, your mileage may vary in other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the United States, uh, there are two states and one city Uh, where you are protected from discrimination as a fat person. And in every other state and every other town, it is perfectly legal to deny a fat person a job, to refuse to rent to them or to sell them a house, uh, to refuse them service at a restaurant or in a hotel, um, just because of their size. Um, And it happens quite a bit, right? Like there have been cases that have gone to appellate courts um, and judges have repeatedly said, yeah, no, it's totally fine for cocktail waitresses to have to meet a certain weight in order to keep their jobs. Mm. Yeah, no, it's totally fine, right, for all of these things to happen. Um, And it's not just sort of like, what are you allowed to have? It's also, um, you know, sort of... uh, in terms of like implicit bias, it also shows up in how much we're paid, right? Um, some studies show that fat people are paid up to $10,000 less a year for the same job as a thin person, right? Mm. So there are very, very real prices that folks are paying, um, that fat folks in particular are paying um, for these sort of biases while everyone else kind of works out their stuff about fat people, right? Like we're just waiting around being like, hey, can I get a job? (laughs) Would you hire me for this, right? Um, And often that discrimination is really overt, right? The number of people uh, that I know, fat people that I know who have applied for jobs in retail and have been told, well, you know, we're really trying to sell an image and you're not the image, Mm -hmm. right? 
like very overtly. Um, Not allowed in like, certain bars and clubs, by the way, like always the one left in line. Totally. Um, there are also, uh, you know, thankfully they are few and far between as far as I know. Um, but, uh, there are also, um, doctors who set weight limits on the patients that they will see. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, there are doctors that famously are like nobody over 200 pounds (laughs) Bye, which is a real wild thing to hear from the person who's supposed to help you get healthy or be healthy or stay healthy. I mean, the other thing I'll say, just like circling back to this health thing is, Again, like a question for folks to consider on all of this is, do you want to be the kind of person who treats someone differently based on your perception of their health? Right. Mm -hmm. Like even if you're right, even if you're looking at a fat person and they have every health condition you think they have and they are sort of paying every health price that we think of as being associated with fatness. Do you want to be the kind of person who treats someone differently because of uh, you know, that they look differently than you think they ought to look or mm-hmm. that their health is different than what you expected. Do you want to be the kind of person who treats people with chronic illnesses differently or worse? Right. Like, who do you want to be in the world? Right. Yeah. Like, how do you want to go about this? You know, one of the most interesting things I found out recently, and I was watching Shrill mm. uh, oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. Hulu, which is great. Um, I have gone seven years, never understand, seven or eight years, never understanding how I got pregnant a couple of years ago because I was Mm. using a condom and the condom broke. And then I took the morning after pill like an hour afterwards, which is way Mm. sooner than you are supposedly, you know, than you need to necessarily. Now, I was much fatter than I am now. And uh, the person behind the, well, the pharmacist who gave me the morning after pill didn't tell me that over 170 pounds, it's like the, 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 um, the morning after pill only works if you're under 170 pounds. In fact, they yeah. were so awkward around my fatness that they didn't even want to bring it up to me. They could see I'm clearly bigger and I'm tall, by the way. Mm-hmm. So being 170 pounds at five foot 10 or five foot 11 isn't hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not. (laughs) No. And then on top of that, I was clearly a larger person and they just gave it to me. So I had no idea. I was basically taking a skittle and I got (laughs) fucking pregnant and didn't know and wasn't prepared for it and ended up having an abortion. But like, how do we not know that? (laughs) Why isn't that made like more of a thing of how are we possibly knowing that the world is predominantly over like a size 16 or 18 or over like as a, as a national average is how the fuck did I find out from a comedy eight years later that that's why I got pregnant? Yeah. Well, and you know, and why don't they make pills for bigger people as if fat people (laughs) don't have sex and get pregnant? What the fuck is going on? Totally. Well, that's part of it, right? Is like, well, nobody's sleeping with a fat person. It sort of like feels like an assumption that's built into that, right? Like regardless of the intentions behind it, it's just like, ah, we don't need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Um, But it's also true that like, you know, the morning after pill is like a particularly acute and alarming example of that. Um, But that's true of most medications on the market. Really? have not been tested on fat people. It's not part of the testing process for the most part, right? So many, many, many medications have not been tested for someone my size, right? So we don't actually know if the dosing needs to change or what have you. I mean, like, there have also been conversations about, you know, we're recording this in uh, pandemic quarantine times. Mm-hmm. Uh Uh, There have been a number of public health experts who have sort of spoken out on this publicly that they're like, oh, we're not going to we're not going to make a vaccine for fat people. And the covid vaccine will be designed for thin people. And we're not going to test it on fat. (laughs) Totally. And we're and we're also not going to develop a separate one for fat people. Again, it's not um, sort of lead messaging, but there are absolutely people who are, you know, sort of pretty proudly talking about that. I mean, at the beginning of COVID, there were hospitals saying, if you need a ventilator and you are fat, you will not get a ventilator because we're going to prioritize people who have, you know, what they believe are the best chances of uh, survival. Yeah. Which is like kind of a wild thing to say. It's outrageous. We don't think you're going to survive. (laughs) So we're just going to let that happen, right? Um, So I think like that's another thing that like I think folks don't really understand, right? 
uh, 50% of doctors and medical students in the U.S. describe fat people as awkward, non-compliant, and unattractive. And lazy. (laughs) Lazy is the other big one. And lazy and all kinds of things, right? Mm. So if I go to a doctor and there is a 50-50 chance that that person thinks I'm already non-compliant, like that doesn't exactly set me up for great health care. And it shows up in the ways that they treat fat people as well, right? Fat people get shorter office visits. We get more tests, but fewer treatments. And uh, doctors develop less rapport with us. They uh, mm-hmm. sort of... Many doctors uh, and nurses and healthcare providers of all stripes see us and think, well, this is already a done deal. They're not going to do anything I tell them to. So why bother? Right. So we start from the point of why bother? A hundred percent. And that's how so many things get missed. You know, like this happened to me. It's happened to a multitude of my friends where their like uh, endometriosis or the polycystic ovarian syndrome Mm -hmm. got missed. And so yeah. a lot of us had our fertility because we were, you know, teenagers or whatever. Our fertility was not being looked over. We were just being fat shamed in doctor's offices who never even thought to just mm-hmm. check our hormones or check to see if there were little cysts on our ovaries or if maybe that was yeah. contributing to all the symptoms we were having. All they look at, these like fucking medical experts who went to school for seven years are still never looking to the cause often enough, especially not when they are confronted with a fat body. It's so yeah. lazy and ignorant. Like, and it also, so many friends of mine have had cancer go missed, mm-hmm. you know, or a tumor or mm-hmm. a huge issue with their um, thyroid. And the yeah. thyroid is such a pivotal part of what, like, you know, controls you know, some of the most important functions in your body. And then they don't realize that they have hypothyroidism, which is when your thyroid, you know, works incredibly slowly. Mm-hmm. So, so they're just being shamed and put on diets that only harm your metabolism further by the way, which are also maddening for your mental health. They are, they make you antisocial. You can't go out and do anything. You can't go anywhere. You feel weak, tired, angry. They aren't nutritionally valuable. And so you're being put on these things that are only harming you further. And because you're eating less than you're supposed to eat, your body is in like panic mode. Mm -hmm. So then you're more stressed and then your thyroid is more, you know, uh, burnt out. Your adrenals are more burnt out. And so... Just the this loop of just ignorance. The what I want people from take to take away from this episode is not like God. It's really hard to be fat in this world. I should do everything <laughs> I can to avoid it. It's what are we doing like, as a society? Yeah. How can we better support ourselves and each other? What needs to change isn't the existence of fat people. Mm-hmm. What needs to change is the way in which we treat fat people in this world. And also, just yeah, we're late to the game in this. But can we discuss? <laughs> ways in which to address fat people because I think every time I as a thin woman try a different word it's met with always like a myriad of reactions and from you and Stephanie Boa I have decided to just use the word fat because that's what you use and you are leaders in this area um but some people say as a thin woman I'm not allowed to use that word I only use the word fat because I do not see any stigma attached to it just the same way that if I said someone was thin I would not consider that to be shameful I consider it just as a descriptive term not as a way of creating someone's identity yeah absolutely that's how I feel about it too I am tall I am fat I have blue eyes right like there are just like baseline things about me and I feel sort of equally neutral about all of them. It has taken a while to get there. And I know that not everyone is there, right? Um, There are plenty of folks who are uncomfortable with the word fat. Um, Understandably, because it was used, you know, it's been so like used and weaponized against them. But you don't don't like euphemisms, do you? Tell me some of the euphemisms you you don't personally adore. I was at a restaurant at one point, like cute new restaurant in Portland, Oregon, which is where I live. And uh, we were getting seated. This was for a work thing a few years ago. Um, And the person who was seating us from the restaurant um, was getting ready to put me in a chair that was like this teeny tiny rickety chair. And I am a big fat lady. And that chair was not going to work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I started to sort of walk up to the table. And in front of all of my work colleagues, he went, no, 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 don't sit there. That chair doesn't work for fluffy people. And like, I love fluffy Uh, people, but like, blah, 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 blah. Right. So this was someone who was like thinking that he was doing the nice thing by not saying the word fat. And meanwhile, again, sort of like shining a spotlight on 
this place is not built for your body and your body is sort of an aberration here, right? In front of all of my work colleagues, right? It was totally weird and mortifying. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's not uncommon for people to think, as long as I don't say the word fat, and as long as I don't approach this with overtly mean-spirited, sort of uh, an overtly mean-spirited approach, then like, I'm fine. And it's just way more complicated than that. And I think also like, listen, man, you and I have met, uh, I'm a fat lady by like any measure, right? There is not a world in which there is a definition of fatness and I don't meet it, right? Like, I just am fat. I have eyes, you have eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, everyone knows I am a fat person. Uh, and it doesn't really help me to deny that. And actually, what it tells me is that uh, if I'm with someone who can't or won't use the word fat uh, with me, it tells me that they have a bunch of stuff around fatness and fat people that they haven't worked out. That right? is too abhorrent to even say out loud. Mm -hmm. And I also think like, just in my experience anecdotally, like the folks who are hurt the most by hearing the word fat are people who have not been fat, right? Because sort of the worst thing that they can imagine is being called fat. Meanwhile, people who are fat are like, oh, that's not the worst thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah. Right? Just call me fat. It's just what I am, right? Um, don't call me curvy or fluffy or more to love or whatever, right? <laughs> like, yeah. no thanks. Rather than trying to convince yourself or to convince me and do the like, sweetie, no, you're not fat, right? Like that whole conversation. I think what you were saying earlier is exactly right, which is like focus on changing the ways that fat people are treated. Don't flip out about what word you're using or not using. Yeah. Focus I, instead on like doing a better job of sort of recognizing our humanity and making sure that we can meet our own needs and stuff like that. I also think there's something about complementing weight loss and about sort of the ways that we think and talk about weight loss that mm -hmm. I don't know that people think about this in terms of like when thinner friends talk to me about how excited they are about losing weight and expect me to congratulate them. Yeah, it's crazy. They're expecting me to congratulate them for looking less like me. You know, like, yeah. why would I congratulate that? Why would I see that as an achievement? How would that be affirming to me? Right. Um, I'm not saying that people don't put in work to try and lose weight. I'm saying that 95% of the people who put in that work don't end up looking thinner, right? So if you want to congratulate people's work, congratulate people's work, regardless of the size that they are. But like this thing is largely outside of our control, right? Yeah. And it's actually driven by much more by markers like uh, are you a person who's living in poverty? To your point, right? Like, if you are a person who's living in poverty, you are much likelier to be fat. And if you are fat, you are much likelier to be living in poverty, right? Yeah. So, like, we've also got to sort of open up to the idea that this isn't just, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It isn't just, you know, Protestant work ethic. It isn't just rugged individualism, right? It isn't just grit that gets people thin. Um, you can have all of those things and still not become thin, right? You can yeah. still be a fat person and have all of those things. Okay. Um, and that feels really tricky. No, and I feel so fucking great to have you and be able to just have this conversation really unapologetically mm -hmm. where it doesn't feel like we're just trying to put the cherry on top or like try and reassure everyone, don't worry, it's not so bad. It's really important mm -hmm. for us to talk about this. And in yeah. this year where we have seen fat people and Asian people both singled out during COVID-19 uh, in very different ways uh, for some sort of cause or reason the death rates are going up or, or, you know, it's been COVID has been used as an excuse to just really just lay into fat people around mm. the world. Uh, this is a vital conversation to have. And I thank you so much for being so candid with me and also just so so thoughtful and, and factual in so many of your responses. <laughs> So for anyone out there listening who wants to be a better ally to their fat friend, fat mother, fat daughter, fat colleague, fat student, what advice do you have? Um, I mean, I think there are, there are a few things that I would say. One is, um, I would say, check in with yourself about what your fat loved one wants versus what you think they want, right? 
Ask them, like, maybe they're trying to lose weight. Maybe they're not. Maybe they want your encouragement. Maybe they want to be left alone and never want to talk about their body again, right? So, like, I would say step one is ask fat people what would be most helpful to them and then do those things, right? That feels like the biggest baseline thing. If we all just got on board with that, uh, we would have sort of quantum leaps forward in how we think and talk about fat people. This is a place where sort of the golden rule kind of breaks down, right? Because I think there are a lot of thin people who want to lose more weight, right? And they're like, I would love to have encouragement for weight loss, right? Um, but treating other people as they would like to be treated is maybe not actually the approach, right? So mm. I would actually say, like, check in with yourself about what is sort of your own projection versus what is something you have heard from a fat person. And delicately and ask for consent. Totally ask for consent. Absolutely. And then ask them what they want and do that thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it really, really, really does not have to be complicated. Um, it can be real simple. Also, ask them about their experiences. I feel like, you know, I hear from readers often that I must have, like, terrible luck that people have been so awful to me. And I'm like, actually, I sort of, before starting this project and before starting to write about what it's like to be a fat person, I thought of myself as living sort of a charmed life. And I do. In a lot of ways, I totally do. Mm -hmm. I'm a white person. I grew up middle class. I went to college, right? Like, I have all this sort of wind at my back from privilege. Mm -hmm. Um and when I experienced anti-fat bias, which was pretty much constantly, right? It's like most days um, that I'm out in the world, somebody says something or does something or whatever. Uh, it wasn't that that was okay with me at the time. It was that was the only model that I had, right? was just sort of like the way that we treat fat people in this world is, well, however people treat you is just the price you pay for being fat and failing to be thin, right? So I didn't say anything about it. I didn't tell people about it because why would I? It's not going to change anything is how it felt to me, right? Even as an organizer, I was just mm -hmm. like, what's the point? Um, so it also feels like super uh, <clears throat> important to actually just ask folks what they are experiencing. Ask fat folks what they're experiencing. Ask them what would be helpful. Hey, if somebody shouts something at you on the street, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to shout back at them? Do you want me to shut up and keep moving? Do you want me to make sure that you're safe? Do you want me to check in with you afterwards? Right? Like if we're on a plane and uh, the flight attendant threatens to kick you off the plane because you're too fat for the flight, how can I show up for you? Right? Just like ask the fat people in your life um, what they've been through and what they need in those situations. So thank you for that. And mm -hmm. for anyone else out there who would like to follow Aubrey online. Uh, she goes by your fat friend, but that's Y-R-F-A-T-F-R-I-E-N-D. She also has a book coming out, which I'm so excited for, called mm -hmm. What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. And I cannot wait for that. And you also have your own podcast out, which is called... Maintenance Phase. Um, so I co-host that with uh, Michael Hobbs, uh, who also co-hosts um, You're Wrong About, which is one of my favorite podcasts. I love it so much. Um, and uh, we sort of noticed that of the many health and wellness podcasts out in the world, um, very few of them actually talked about the science or history behind the sort of health and wellness trends that they were pushing, right? Um, so we've been doing sort of deep research dives into where did the president's physical fitness test come from in the United States? Or what was the deal with FenFen, this prescription diet drug that killed people? And how did that get approved? Has that changed, right? Um, and we're also talking about stuff like adaptogens, which is like a word that's everywhere now. And I don't think anybody really knows what it means. What, right? is, what is an adaptogen? Should I just listen to your podcast? <laughs> yeah, you kind of do. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, go to Moon Juice. They'll tell you all about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so before you go, Aubrey, what do you weigh? Um, I would say uh, being a good friend or trying to. <laughs> I would say uh, my niece and nephew being proud of me and doing things that make them proud of me. Um, I would say my, like, ongoing organizing work for LGBTQ rights, for immigrant rights, for racial justice, for voting rights, for fat people, all of that. Um, and I would say uh, my sense of humor. I feel like it's important to be able to be lighthearted about some of this stuff some of the time because the world is a heavy, intense place, you know? I agree. Um, 
And I would also say, listen, uh, all of those things are how I measure myself. And I also live in a world that very much does measure me by my weight. So I would say I also weigh 350 pounds and that has significantly shaped my experience. You know, mm -hmm. not, I don't say that to put myself down or to reinforce that model, but just to say um, that as a fat person, that's kind of inescapable, right? Um, in the world we live in today. Well, that's on all of us to change. And yeah, so I've got your back to the very end. I am, I'm constantly trying to ask myself if I'm literally in love with you. Uh, <laughs> you are truly one of my favorite people I've met as an adult. And I'm so lucky to have you in my life. Thank you for coming onto this podcast. It's been so informative and interesting and full of heart and, and so inspiring in the way that you look at the world. Uh, I always hope to be more like you. And so I'll keep working on that. Uh, and so go buy a book, follow her online uh, and, and listen to her maintenance phase podcast loads of love to you oh back at you but it's so fun to talk to you always and to do it on mic is a real treat thank you so much for listening to this week's episode i weigh with jamila jamil is produced and researched by myself jamila jamil erin finnegan and kimmy gregory it is edited by andrew carson and the beautiful music that you're hearing now is made by my boyfriend james blake if you haven't already please rate review and subscribe to the show it's a great way to show your support i really appreciate it and it amps me up to bring on better better guests lastly at iway we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast you can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com it's not in pounds and kilos so please don't send that it's all about your just you you know you've been on the instagram anyway and now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. A listener wrote in today and said, I weigh my consciousness, my willingness to learn and grow, my two lovely sons who are my biggest joy and frustration at the same time, my ability to apologise, my passion for crocheting, which hopefully will become my source of income, my fight with depression and my liberty of not explaining myself to anyone anymore. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.